0: Welcome, you're listening to RUF at the University of Oklahoma. Um, hey guys, it's great to be here. Um, as I just said, we're going through the parables, and so tonight we're reading from Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. It should be on your handout, and there it is, up here. So follow with me to read God's word. And he told them a parable, to the effect, this is Jesus talking, by the way. so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on us? Let me pray to open us up tonight. Dear Lord, thank you for your word for this passage. Uh, for these friends, and for bringing us here, for RUF. Uh, The opportunity this gives us to just open your word. I'm thankful that we are able to do that legally in America. No issues. Um, It's awesome. We can meet on a college campus. And just bless this word, and bless what I'm about to say. Please let it be your words and not mine. Um, And just please allow me to stay true to you, and allow everyone to be able to follow along and be engaged and ask questions. In the name of I pray, amen. Alright guys, so I'm about to start out with a ridiculous scenario. But I'm going to tell you to follow with me. Don't lose hope. Alright, so I want everyone to close your eyes. Close your eyes. That's right, this is a weird RUF. Now imagine you're in the woods. Not just any woods, you're traveling in Europe and are traveling through the woods alone. Also, before you left, for these woods, everyone's laughing. I haven't even, we're just setting it up, guys. Just wait. Before you left, a family friend said, Hey, those woods are crazy, and travelers get lost all the time. Feel free to page me on a walkie-talkie if you ever get lost. I can track you and guide you to the nearest field where I can pick you up in my helicopter. <laughs> yeah, All right. All right. So you go into the woods, and what started out as a three-day trip has now extended to an eight-day trip. You are utterly lost, and it's raining, and you're out of food, and your tent has a hole in it, and you lost your fire starter. Mm. I've watched a lot of Naked and Afraid, the show. If you tell. <laughs> and now think about what you would do in this desperate situation. You can open your eyes if you want. <laughs> Most of you already did, but I'm glad you stuck with me. Think about what you would do in this situation, this scenario. Now, I know you're like, obviously, I've got a walkie-talkie, bro. Why would I just chill there? But I think that you may try to find your way out without the help of this family friend or the walkie-talkie. Here's why. Okay? So follow with me. I'm going to tell you why you would do something really foolish. So I'll start by telling you that there is a problem in this passage, and there's a problem in the world that it shows. Um, and that's this. That the world is full of injustices and people not loving one another and we are powerless to change that so i'll read that again so the world is full of injustices and people not loving one another and we are powerless to change that so what do i mean by that first i want to talk about the injustice shown by the judge if you remember in the story It says that there is a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, right? Like, whatever that means, right? Um, So there are many people in this world who don't fear God or don't respect man or both. There are many people in this room who are the same. And even the ones who might fear God or might respect others, respect man, um, don't do it every day in every situation for all of your life, right? Like, I know, I think I would consider myself God-fearing and I think I respect others, but Trust me, I have disrespected so many people. Just ask Marianne, my wife. She might not say I fear God or respect man. But, but so by saying the judge, I'll break down what he doesn't fear God. I take it to mean that he doesn't see there as being an ultimate judge who will hold him accountable to his actions. He doesn't fear God, so he doesn't think that there is an outcome to his actions. He can kind of do what he wants. There's no judge over him. He has no care for what is right or wrong. Now again, how often are we like this judge who might think that there's no consequences outside this immediate situation, like I don't have to answer to anyone? How often do we think that this life is about us getting ours? After all, YOLO. We believe that life is about being successful and happy and enjoying it to the end, despite what God may think about our plan to achieve that. Um, Not that not saying like, don't be successful or happy or enjoy anything, but maybe our means of getting there might not be, might not make God the ultimate judge, the happiest. So that's what I would say fearing God is. So I saying the judge doesn't respect man. Jesus is recognizing that the judge simply just doesn't care about others. Um, Again, he thinks I do what I want to do because only I am responsible for me, for my happiness, because if I don't look out for me, then no one else will, Right. We feel that way often as well. So I'd say that this is all injustice. Let me explain that. It's not the way things are supposed to be because he's a judge. It's injustice because this guy, who we see doesn't have any ultimate authority that he believes he's accountable to and who doesn't respect others, this guy has been given authority over others and to make a decision regarding others. It's not fair justice that someone who could think this way and act so selfish could be in power. So another injustice, that's the first kind of injustice I would say, is within the heart of this judge. And the second injustice in this passage lies in the widow. It's simply, what I mean by that is it's simply just not fair that there are widows. After looking at how evil man's heart can be in the judge, we're presented with another form of brokenness, which is the world. We aren't told any details about this particular widow. We don't know. We're not given like a backstory. Um, that's not in there. I didn't like skip that part. There's no backstory to this widow, why she's a widow, how she came into the situation. But somehow death has taken her husband and now she is alone. And this isn't fair. This isn't justice. You might agree. We're given no indication that this woman has done anything to deserve to be a widow. She just is. It just happened. In the same way, um, you know this, you've seen injustices. In the same way, there are people in the world going hungry, who have done nothing to deserve starving, to deserve going hungry over you or me. They were simply born into to a situation that lacks food. Some are born into abusive or neglectful households. Some experience death to loved ones or friends. And if you've experienced these things, I want to tell you that it's not your fault and that this is an injustice. And I bring these things up not to hurt any of you emotionally or like to pull up baggage or anything like that. Um, I simply want you to look around for a second and maybe feel the weight of the hopelessness of this Um, because we've all experienced this to some degree. We've all experienced injustice in our life. Um, So often we go through our lives and we don't want to recognize how hopeless things are. I've experienced pain, I know, in my life. Um, and I went years without ever really dealing with that baggage. I went years of just kind of looking to the next thing and not wanting to address this. I was just like, life's not fair, moving on. Um, I tried to dismiss it and just look ahead without taking a moment to process what happened. And I think the Bible and God wants us to stop and process these things when they happen. Um, so let's look at Psalm 88. I believe we have it up here, 1 to 5, yep. point of bringing up that passage is i know that we often don't want to look at hopelessness or injustice and we just kind of want to move on and look at what's in front of us um but i don't know maybe if you were listening you might also agree that this doesn't sound like someone who's just like oh on to the next thing gonna just not feel any emotions here um doesn't sound like someone who's happy you're acting like everything's okay the psalmist says he cries out day and night to the Lord." Um, Right there at the very beginning. Lord God, my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. He says that his soul is full of troubles. Do you guys ever feel like that? Like your world is full of troubles? And if you haven't, finals week is coming up. So get ready to feel like your soul is full of troubles. Um, It's okay to hurt because things are often unjust and unfair in this life. So... We established that this passage shows an injustice in the world by how it's affected the widow and how we're helpless on our own. So what are we to do about this injustice that we know is around us? Like I said, the widow who experienced something that wasn't her fault and the judge who had evil inside of him was placed in a position of authority. There's so much injustice. What are we going to do? So should we pursue social justices and humanitarian work? You think that'll... What do you think? I want you guys to think about that. Some of you have been on short-term mission trips, maybe. Um, you've likely worked with an orphanage or helped with medical work, if you've done this, or built wells for people wherever you went. Many of you donated your time or money to homeless shelters, Habitat for Humanity, and the Clean Water Project. Like, we did an event for the Clean Water Project to raise money for. Um, maybe if we all just do enough of this, if, like, everyone just got off their butts and went and helped someone... Oh, what is it, pay it forward, they always say? Like maybe if we just were all good people and just did enough stuff, enough caring for others, then the world will be fixed, right? I don't think so. Um, I'm not sure this is going to solve our problem. It's not, I'm not saying these things are wrong. I don't want you to hear that, or like bad or unneeded. I encourage all of you to do these things. This is, the Bible encourages this. But no matter how many good, loving things we do, we will never be able to do enough to atone for all the injustice in the world. Like, you're always going to be playing catch-up. And that's a good catch-up to play to help others, but you're never going to be able to just solve injustice in the world. So maybe, how about this? Instead of humanitarian work, maybe we just solve it through politics, right? Maybe if we have a conservative Christian like Ben Carson in the White House, then everything will get better. Or maybe if we feel the burn and get Bernie Sanders in the White House, he'll truly help the marginalized people like he claims. Maybe then things will be better. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to disagree with that. And like the humanitarian work, these things have an impact on the world, and I encourage you to vote and engage in political discourse, discourse especially if you're a Christian. You should have your voice heard, and you should talk to people about these things. But politics aren't going to save America much less the world either. They're not the end-all be-all that's gonna change the world. So where can we turn? Sounds pretty hopeless. We've talked about injustice. And then I just told you a few ways that won't solve it, right? That sucks. What if, what if we're trying to find the answer to a problem that has already been solved? What if the world has already been saved, in a sense? We'll go to the last verse I have, John 3, 16-17. Many of you who grew up in a youth group or something might know one of these verses. Um, For God so loved the world, and that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So Jesus was sent to the world to save it. He was sent to change things. He was sent to bring hope to the hopeless. We sing a song, I think we sang it last week, two weeks ago, All the Poor and Powerless. It's, Jesus came for all the poor and powerless people. This is awesome news, guys. Do you, do you know that? I mean, I know a lot of you have like heard this every week or your whole life, but this is awesome. I just told you how hopeless you are, and you all didn't get excited when I told you Jesus came for you. Uh, maybe you did inside, all right? Um, No one jumped up excited, though, so whatever. Uh, How can we hear this and still continue looking for hope and happiness in the arms of the world? This world that is full of sin, that has harmed each of us like the widow. She was harmed by sin in the world and lives inside each of us like the judge. Let me read what Jesus said in our text tonight. If you can go back, Cecilia, to the first text. The Lord said, this is verse 6. Oh, one more slide. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Oh, remember that psalm? That guy was crying day and night. How about that? Coincidence. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when some man comes, will he find faith on earth? So Jesus says that unlike the judge, he will give justice to his people speedily. His people won't have to wait like this widow did and ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and and beg and beg and beg. He will give speedily. He will not make us act like this poor widow. So we see that we are in this world and constantly experience hopeless injustice within us and to us. We also see that Jesus came into this world to save it. So how do we connect these things? We've got sinful world over here. We're sick over here. Jesus came to save us. So how do we connect these things? Where do these things come together? What is this passage saying to connect these things? If you didn't notice, it says, we pray. Because the widow recognized she was powerless, she recognized herself that she couldn't do anything about the situation, and she was powerless. She pleaded before a judge, before the judge. She begged him over and over and over and over, and we are to do the same. Thankfully, we don't have to plead, like I said, to an unjust judge. She had to plead to a judge who didn't fear God or care about others. We don't have to plead to that judge. And we don't have to hope we get lucky or annoy him enough like the widow did. Like she has got her way because she was just really annoying. It wasn't because she like changed this guy's heart and like they lived in like a Disney world where he was now a great guy and they fell in love. Um, it's just because she annoyed him enough to where he gave in. Instead, we plead before the perfect judge who displays perfect justice and mercy at the same time. He says he will give justice to us speedily. We also need to see Jesus saying in this passage passage, that prayer has an effect. I know oftentimes if you're like me, you may feel like it doesn't make a difference. It may feel like we're like talking to a wall or like I'm just saying words in the air and they're just kind of like falling to the ground. Um, Some even argue that some would say that prayer doesn't change anything. It's just so that we're able to like deal with things better by voicing them. It's like an audible journal where we're like talking and that's really prayers for just us to feel better. Um, Sure, it can be good for us to voice how we feel and to voice things that we're thinking and to really process things. It can be good for us. But the truth is that Jesus says right here that he will give justice to his people who cry to him day and night. The passage doesn't say he'll give justice to his people and also the ones who cry day and night. It's not like I'll give justice to these people and if you cry day and night, sure, I'll give you justice too. It's that God's people do cry to Him day and night. If you're a part of God's people, you will cry out to Him. There's no, like, division here. This is God's people cry out to Him day and night. So in we to really believe in the power of prayer, we have to recognize one thing, one thing this widow recognized, that we are powerless, that we can't change the situation on our own. If this widow had been prideful and thought she could do it on her own or refused to ask for help, she would have never found her justice. Here we go, bringing it back. She would have just been content to not ask for help and would have never found the justice she thought. We, on the other hand, must be willing to submit to the idea that we are not in control of our lives. This is devastating to us. This is why, here we go, this is why I think that you would at least, maybe you would call your family friend when you're lost in the woods, but you would at least think twice about it, right? You would at least be like, uh, you'd be a little hesitant. Why? Because you would think, uh, I'm fine, I got this, or, like, I don't want to be a burden to this person, or, like, it's not their responsibility, I got myself in this mess, like, I don't want to call him, like, it costs a lot of money to operate a helicopter. Like, um... Humbling, we have to humble ourselves to the point of being willing to ask for help, which is absolutely devastating to recognize that I am powerless and that I need help. How often do we not want to ask others for help? We just think, oh, I'll just like keep it all in and I'll just like deal with this problem and just go. We don't want to admit that we need help. It's devastating until we realize that we are submitting to an incredibly gracious God. We're submitting and hopeful in one who is completely powerful. Remember, we're powerless. How great is it? We can pray to the one who is completely powerful. Um, This balance is best summed up in a quote by a pastor named Tim Keller that was floating around Facebook this last week. I think I shared it, actually. So, sorry, I spoiled the sermon. Um, It says this, Christians should not be optimists We know too much about sin. We should also not be pessimists, for we know the living God. I'll read that again. Christians should not be optimists, for we know too much about sin. But we should also not be pessimists, for we know the living God. So here's kind of like, here's what I'm trying to communicate to you guys tonight, right? We know what this passage says. We know the world is hopeless because of sin and injustice, and this should make us weep and cry out to God. Like I said, I want you to just feel like it's a hopeless situation that we're in, and we should be so sad and cry out to God. But, but like this quote says, we also know that there is a God of love and justice and a mercy who sits on his throne. He is all-powerful, and because of this, we happily cry out to him not in our sadness and fear, but we know that we can cry out to him because we know that he is in control. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you for this text and for, again, these friends and for making this seem valuable enough to, to them that they would show up tonight or at least give it a try if they'd never been before. And I pray that we just continue this semester and I just thank you for your God, um, that You've given us an avenue to communicate with You, to talk to the all-powerful being, and that You've provided hope in a hopeless place. Um, in your name I pray, amen.